Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. Today, we're going to look, as we often do on this program, at electricity, which is so vital to daily life and to the future of the nation, probably especially so as it gets more automated. We have two very special gentlemen who are authorities in their world to look at that. One is Thomas Kuhn, who is the president of the Edison Electric Institute, and Jeffrey Decoux, who is the chairman of the Autonomy Institute. Together, we're going to look at that and we're going to ask what can be done about the great drought, which is facing us in the Western states and which may curtail electricity production there. Tom, tell me, how are we going to deal with the kinds of catastrophe we have in the Western United States this summer? with low dams, a shortage of electricity possible, blackouts in the offing, and uh, wildfires, a very likely consequence. Well, the industry is used to dealing with uh, major uh, natural disasters, and we are well ahead of uh, the situation here. And I think that we're uh, certainly uh, preparing for every eventuality, uh, although Mother Nature keeps uh, handing us record uh, storm seasons and record uh, wildfire seasons. And that uh, really, I think, is an indication of uh, uh, the changing global climate that we have. Jeff, what is the future of autonomy in the electric industry? Well, I think the important thing the electric industry is going to deliver to autonomy is, is nonstop electricity. Uh, because as we evolve into a society that uh, is dependent far more on you know, technologies like uh, 5G, autonomous cars, and agricultural fields with robotics and construction with robotics, it all comes down to resilient energy. And uh, it's, it's paramount that we, we solve um, not only the generation, but also the transmission um, of, of access to, to electricity in a, the scale that we're gonna have to be prepared for for the standpoint of all mobility is moving to electric. Um, which is a, a massive new demand that's going to be put on the electric grid. It's going to be a demand for kilowatts, but it's also going to be a demand for resiliency. Uh, Tom, what is the goal of resiliency? It's a word which is bandied about a great deal, but uh, what does it really mean? Does it mean 24-7 always, or is it a different way of saying reliable as possible? So it is about uh, making sure that the electricity is reliable. We want to build, uh, you know, put more physical strength into the system. We want to put, as Jeff indicated, uh, a lot more smart technologies into the system so that we can uh, make sure that we can counter the situations that are out there with respect to uh, uh, natural disasters and, and that we can uh, use all the technologies that, uh, that are so very, very important to make sure that the uh, electricity is there when our customers need it, want it. We hear, Tom, a lot about uh, the sophistication of the system, but at the consumer level, or rather at the observer level, if you're driving down the street, we see poles that go this way, poles that go that way. Uh, it doesn't inspire confidence. Is that a, a false reading to worry about the the locality of the poles and the durability of the poles? Are there more things that are going on and are observed from street level? Well, 
it is a very, very sophisticated system, and the uh, uh, those poles are essential. The transmission is essential to the uh, reliability of the system. But we have uh, Llewellyn are investing more than a hundred billion dollars a year. We're the most capital-intensive industry in the country, and uh, uh, a lot of new technologies are going onto the system to uh, to make sure that we have the sensors and detection technologies and uh, that we're, uh, the generation technologies that are getting increasingly clean so we're reducing our carbon emissions in a major major way uh, we're leading the world in that uh, and we're very very proud of uh, uh, the fact that uh, as Jeffrey indicated the electrification of the economy is going to help it uh, make us the solution to climate change what is autonomy Jeff and how does it apply to the grid? Well, I, I think you think about it two, two different paths. So, so autonomy is really about automating um, processes, just like we saw in our manufacturing fields. We've seen the industrialization where robotics allow us to, to assemble, manufacture, and deliver um, products and goods far faster than we ever have. Um, where the Autonomy Institute is focused is how we're going to take that um, technology and deliver it out into public spaces. So how we're going to deliver it at scale within agricultural fields, how we're going to allow advanced um, freight and cargo across our highways, how we're going to allow autonomy to deliver people that really want to get from one location to another, but may not have the ability to. So picking up grandma at her house, taking her to the doctor and back home is a lot of the um, are examples of really good impacts of how um, automated systems are going to deliver value to our communities. And it's gonna be a, a massive productivity gain for the nation. It's gonna allow us to provide more resilience to the supply chains, but it really is, is centered on um, exceptional and uh, resilient power. Uh, because what, are the all building, what are the building blocks of autonomy? and? Where do they fit in electricity? For example, we now have an enormous amount of electricity generated from quite small generators, either wind generators or solar roofs or even dedicated solar farms. The quantity is not large and it's variable. The wind drops, the sun goes behind a cloud. Uh, where does autonomy fit in there in switching between these generating units to keep a smooth flow of current um, yeah, so so DO, uh, Department of Energy as was as well as Enrol have done a lot of research on. Um, um, Enrol is the Renewable Energy National Laboratory. Thank thank you. My apology, um, but they they've done a lot with um, the automation of the the grid as well. To your point, is uh, autonomy is going to be vital on how as more and more um, energy resources come to the grid, um, like the, the solar, the wind, and small micro reactors and and others. Uh, that has to be balanced because it, it's uh, balancing the electric flow is 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 not a simple task. Um, the energy industry makes it look very simple because we we are so used to walking into a room and hitting a switch and nine nine point nine 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 or I don't know how many nines um, the energy just just happens. Um, but uh, the the technologies that allow these microgrid decisions or these these small decisions to be made in a very very quick um, you know time period 
are going to keep that resilience and actually expand the resilience um, of as these new um, energy sources come to the grid. In that world, Tom, where do smart meters fit and the smart grid? Well, I think the smart grids really kind of uh, are incredibly important. They not only can help with energy efficiency with the customers, uh, but they can help us uh, uh, regulate the system a whole lot better. Uh, uh, we now have uh, more than 100 million smart meters in this country, and, uh, and we see a situation where it allows us to bring more renewables onto the system. Uh, and make sure that we can do that uh, with the reliability that we need. And I'll, t I'll talk about one other part of uh, autonomous technology that uh, uh, Jeff kind of uh, opened the door to, which is uh, for wildfires, uh, we want to be able to use drones. Uh, Jeff, the CEO of a drone company, we want to be able to use drones to inspect those lines and to uh, make, a, you know, it can be done so much more efficiently with a drone as opposed to uh, having people alignment climb those poles or send up helicopters uh, to uh, uh, take those, uh, do, do those inspections from a great, much greater distance. So that's an example of a new technology and we can work with the federal government on the artificial intelligence that goes with it to analyze that data to uh, again, help us to respond uh, and to predict uh, wildfires in various places that. Uh, couldn't do before. Um, Jeff, what are the building blocks of autonomy? Is it sensors? Is it microchips? Yeah, there's quite a few. I'd, I'd say that I think a lot of people are familiar with um, all the interest there is in broadband, is getting densification or broadband allows resilient communication. Um, that's also kind of married to what we hear about 5G, is, is if what uh, 5G is providing is more bandwidth at a far lower latency uh, across the nation. But you also have things that people are not necessarily aware of, things like assured position navigation and timing, um, which really is, is more vital than even communication because um, what is called position navigation and timing runs 14 of the 16 national systems um, that keep our, our nation safe and secure and, and sovereign. Um, other things like edge computing, um, people understand that um, we all have smartphones now. There was a time that we did not, um, but now we're going to see the densification of data centers and compute, not just at um, a big building somewhere, but actually distributed across the city on sidewalks and uh, basically sitting on the same uh, plot of land that a lot of the intelligent circuitry of our energy grid is going to be sitting. What are they going to look like? Are they going to look like the old-fashioned newspaper stand or the old telephone box? I mean, what do they look like? These, these new yeah. invader, invaders on the street. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, from from what the autonomy institute is pushing is is a concept called a public infrastructure network node. Um, it takes many shapes and sizes, um, but I'd say that um, it what it looks um, like is something that is far more aesthetically pleasing for a city and far more sustainable because it's designed for um, what needs to be installed today, what needs to be installed three years from now and what needs to be installed you know, even 30 years from now. So I think um, just as we got much smarter about how we actually manage data centers over the last you know, 20 years, the same thing is gonna happen on the sidewalk. And this new infrastructure, this new densification is 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 vital as 
highways were to our country back in 1956 or electricity was back in 1936. Um, and uh, will actually power um, what a lot of people hear the term industry 4.0 and how that actually increases productivity. Tom, one of the things that comes in the West is that they will be helped by storage so much as we're able to store electricity. And it's a hot button issue, storage, batteries, various other kinds of storage, the old and traditional and very effective one of pump storage. Where do we stand? with storage? And what are the impediments to getting the storage we need? Storage is a, a very, very important technology that is uh, growing rapidly. And uh, we are installing a lot more storage uh, out west uh, to uh, deal with the situation of uh, outages that may result again from wildfires in particular. But, uh, uh, you know, the challenges with storage is to get the uh, uh, the, the length of the storage up right now, uh, four to eight hours, uh, a, uh, uh, you know, it's a kind of rule of thumb for how much uh, storage will cover. And basically to get uh, the goal, the holy grail is to get longer term storage. So that's a uh, very, very uh, strong priority for the administration and our industry to, uh, to get uh, the research done to Tom, the big political issue is infrastructure. There's a bill coming through Congress slowly, bumbly, uh, supported by the administration, supported in different ways by different factions in the Congress. What does infrastructure mean to the electric utility? And what would you like to see in that bill? Well, I think infrastructure is incredibly important to the nation. Uh, and we are very supportive of uh, additional infrastructure that would help us build the transmission we need to build in this country that would uh, essentially uh, support uh, uh, more electrification of the transportation sector uh, that would address uh, our willingness to move forward strongly on the broadband side of the equation to uh, expand the middle mile uh, part of the broadband uh, issue and uh, to eliminate the digital divide. Uh, Would you like to explain to us what the uh, middle mile is? Well, and uh, we we lay a lot of uh, fiber optic cable to uh, for our communication systems, and uh, basically, uh, you know, it, that cable has a lot of capacity, and we could add, uh, uh, you know, um, capacity into that with respect to the uh, uh, broadband issue and. We would still have the same uh, telecom providers that we could uh, uh, partner with and, and greatly expand, uh, uh, again, the, uh, the telecommunications capacity, the broadband capacity of the country, and, uh, and help eliminate the digital divide a whole lot quicker. Jeff, why do we have this uh, drought in some parts, broadband drought? Not the not the Western route, the broadband route. The the broadband. Um, I, I think it's it's all immense of of what what is the target we were trying to reach, and I think um, right now we still have a target of twenty five um, megabits down, three megabits up, and I think setting that target um, at that level, you know, ten years ago, uh, I think made sense. But um, maybe you could explain to us what is meant by that. Um, 
Well, yeah. So the FCC is is um, designated broadband as as twenty five megabits down. So how much information that you can actually pull down to to your system, and and how much you can push back up to the, to things like the cloud or send emails to people. Um, I think uh, other nations um, are now experiencing one gigabyte uh, or gigabit or better on um, its uh, ability to deliver um, you know data to consumers. And we just happen to be very, very far behind. Um, and I think where the U.S. has led the, the world on so many innovations over the last you know, 50 years, um, I, 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 coming from the technology industry, I, I'm actually pointing this finger at myself, is we have failed to keep pace and failed to, to keep a resilient innovation um, uh, you know, path for our nation. And I think uh, it really comes down to physical infrastructure to regain our, our strength and our leadership. There we have Tom and Mayor Culpa. How about the electric industry? Are we still the world's leaders or are we falling behind that too? Well, I, I think we're the world's leaders, Llewellyn. We're certainly, uh, we represent uh, 5% of the GDP. And I often say uh, we're the first 5% because without electricity, you haven't got a GDP. And, uh, There's no question of that. I mean, the value of electricity uh, is extraordinary. It's also, by the way, I think very cheap, which may be a problem when you come to charging. Nobody can make any money out of running a charging station because the raw material is not expensive enough. And I suppose there'll be people with ropes looking for me, having said that. But uh, in fact, electricity, considering what it does, is stunningly inexpensive. Well, we an important part of our mission is to keep electricity uh, uh, inexpensive and uh, affordable to people uh, and reliable because the economy does depend on us so much and we support 7 million jobs. But I think that, uh, and we were making, as I indicated, $100 billion a year in capital expenditures to uh, increase the reliability and the resilience of the- uh, Where is that money going? What are you buying with it? What palpable thing can well, I one thing we're buying quote you on cleaner generation. We're moving to cleaner generation. We are leading the world in carbon reduction emissions. Uh, Forty percent uh, emission reductions from two thousand five levels, uh, and uh, and and heading toward a net zero carbon reductions in the next uh, uh, thirty years. So it's a really very very uh, impressive thing. We're adding transmission. We're adding smart grids adding new technologies onto the system. Um, we have a great partnership with the federal government in, in addressing hurricanes and storms, derechos and wildfires. Uh, and uh, we kept the lights on during the pandemic. We were designated a critical infrastructure industry and by God, we came through. You're going green, Tom, uh, by uh, putting in wind and solar, but they're not without a an environmental price. All those windmills will be dismantled at some point. The towers are steel and can be recycled because steel is recyclable, but the blades are not. They're complex carbon fiber and uh, uh, fiberglass. Uh, has any study been done of the impact of going green? Has it been the sort of environmental study that usually accompanies large undertakings? Well, there are a lot of studies, and, and a lot of those studies are being done in the national laboratories uh, uh, that you mentioned, Llewellyn. And, and basically, uh, you know, we've got some of the greatest minds in the country making sure we can recycle a whole lot of things, including the 
batteries that uh, come from storage or from electric vehicles? Uh, almost in the same mode. Uh, Tom just mentioned batteries. Batteries have all sorts of precious materials, some not sourced in this country. But if we go on, uh, Jeff, to look at your world with its sensors, with its microchips, etc., what are the supply bottlenecks there? Um, yeah, there there are a lot, and luckily uh, the, the the federal government um, is is already started to address that. So um, I think under the leadership of um, individuals like Senator Warner and Senator Cornyn, they've kind of addressed that a lot of the supply chain for the chips that power this future um, have been manufactured in other other countries, and um, you know we tried to I think outsource too much um, um, at a certain point, and I think we're now realizing that we have to to reinvest in these large fabs and these manufacturing facilities in the United States uh, to regain our resilience in the, the overall supply chain. And uh, when are we likely to see these bottlenecks ironed out? Uh, we, we're going to have a difficulty getting all the electric cars we'd like to buy because we don't have the chips. Uh, we're going to have difficulty building all the windmills we'd like to buy because of other shortages. Uh, is there a national program to smooth these impediments? Um, I, I don't see, we don't see a national program yet, but we, we are confident that one will be formed up. Um, we also, um, from the Autonomy Institute's perspective, we, we like to highlight um, SMR, uh, small micro reactors. Um, the, and because a lot of the discussion today um, in, in the press and of course in um, you know, Washington is about um, zero emission and, and going green, which um, I think we, we believe that's, that's the right messaging. Um, but we also go back to Steven Pinker's quote about energy generation is, if you look at historically, the inflection points of us moving from biomass to coal and coal to oil and um, there was supposed to be an inflection point that took place around the 80s to where we moved to immense power generation with nuclear. And we believe we have to get back um, to that curve and we have to get back to the impact that nuclear can have on our grid. And now with the innovations that have been developed over the last you know, 30 years, um, small micro reactors um, can be a, a really critical piece to the grid. Tom, would you like to add to that? Well, I think, you know, Secretary of Energy uh, Jennifer Granholm has talked a lot about uh, the supply chain issues as well as uh, uh, the importance of these new technologies. And, uh, you know, when Jeff mentioned Senator Warner and Senator Cornyn, uh, you've got two senators from different parties. So the fact of the matter is you, there are some things that we can agree upon uh, in a bipartisan fashion. And I think that uh, a lot of the technologies that Jeff is talking about are among them. And I think will be the answer and the ultimate solution to climate change. Well, we know that the future is electric. We're not going to see any radical change from that or none is anticipated. No competitor to electricity exists. So we can look 15, 20 years ahead and guess what we will be using and how it'll, how it'll work, just probably more efficiently and faster. But Jeff, when it comes to autonomy, this covers a multitude of things. It includes uh, Tom's drones, except they're not just surveying uh, electric lines, they're also coming to your house with your pizza and your medicine. Uh, 
this is going to be a large challenge, just keep them from knocking into each other. Uh, how confident are you of this autonomous future with cars, without drivers, drones doing the deliveries? Uh, it's a little awesome. It, it is. So, so luckily, we had the personal experience in a, the, the prior company that, that I founded um, did a lot with drones. In fact, uh, the energy industry was one of the, the largest proponents of leveraging drones for inspections and um, just maintaining the, the, the resilient grid that we have. But public safety was also a user, and you talk about um, a, a drone delivery. Um, it's, a, it's an efficient um, and fast way to, to have things delivered. But you know, I want to point out that a lot of people don't understand we're already in a fully autonomous world. Like every single vehicle, every single truck, every single car is actually driven by an autonomous um, individual. It's a, it's a carbon-based autonomy, not um, uh, silicon-based. And I, I have far greater hopes and far greater you know, data sets to show that silicon-based autonomy or automation is going to be far more um, proficient and far more effective at getting us from one place to another and getting our supply chain to be far more resilient. And I think it's Tom, all about pulling the pieces together. Tom, when you look to the future, what do you see? Well, I see a, a, a much greater economy continuing to grow. I think that uh, we have a situation where those technologies that Jeff was talking about uh, are going to be uh, prevalent uh, and it's going to make our lives a whole lot easier just like electricity has over the last uh, more than a century uh, continues to uh, uh, serve us well we still are going to need a lot of new different technologies to make it a lot of different fuel uh, to make it uh, but it will be a lot greener it will be in a lot more electrified world uh, and uh, we're very very proud that uh, our industry is again uh, Going to be a major part of the uh, energy and environmental solutions. We are going to see very different things from the weather. The weather is more aberrant, more difficult, uh, impacts electric utilities, in a way impacts, Jeff, your drones. Uh, and we've got the situation in the West where the drought may not be over in one year, may not be over in several years. I have seen this because I up in Africa and I've seen the terrible consequences of drought and that was without any technology without much dependence on hydropower so we're going to have to move with some alacrity to compensate for changes in the weather any thoughts on that Tom well I think that the industry takes that issue as the highest of the highest importance so we have a partnership with the federal government uh, uh, whereby uh, you know our CEOs uh, and the highest people at the highest level of government uh, respond to it. I am very, very proud of how when you see a storm coming in, uh, you see utility trucks heading toward that storm to get ready to restore the power. Uh, and uh, this, we have the same kind of partnership on wildfires, uh, where we're working with the Department of Agriculture and Energy and uh, the Forest Service, et cetera, to address the issue of wildfires. That is our show for today. Summer is here, do enjoy it. Get out there and go to the beach, etc. And if you are of that mind, take your socks off. <laughs> people, people in New England get very excited about a, an informal ceremony called burning the socks. 
I keep my socks on my feet. Thank you. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.